The sermon I'm preaching tonight, I really, really like it, and the scripture I'm preaching on, and the more I looked at it, I really wanted to preach it. In a couple weeks, I'm preaching on a Sunday morning um, at both services while Mark is out, and I really wanted, as I looked at it, I was like, this would be so good for everybody to hear, because I think the people in here probably know what I'm going to say, and there's a lot of people Sunday mornings that, man, I wish it would go out, and, but then I didn't have a better anchor verse to preach on, and so I didn't have anything prepared, so the last minute change wasn't going to happen. I was like, Lord, I'll go as far as you'll lead me just in faith until I don't have a sermon to preach to go that far, but now I'm going to share this with, with each of you tonight and um, let it be an anchor for your soul and something that you could share. I think this is something that we need to share. This is something that went beyond just me taking it in as my anchor verse to an anchor verse that now is the one I'm sharing with the world. And that's in John chapter 14, verse 6. We'll look at that in just a minute. But most everyone in here, um, you're at the age where you'll remember as clearly as I did, September 11th, 2001. And I've got the picture up there. But um, 9-11 I was in college. I was a sophomore at Auburn and walked into the Haley Center and saw this uh, the video going across the screen where one tower had been hit, and then a few minutes later, another tower being hit live, and um, man, just the world changing in that moment, and it hasn't been the same since. Younger kids hear about it as a history lesson. They probably look at it um, like, like the way I looked at World War II or things like that was ancient history. They're starting to look at it like like that, but I remember it clear as day. And in the middle of the tragic picture that, um, that we see up there it was a story of, of triumph, a story of a hero that as people came down to the bottom that were rescued and that did make it out of the buildings before they collapsed, a story began to be shared about a man they were calling the man in the red bandana. And so this is from the movie. This is a picture of the movie because nobody actually had an actual picture of this happening. But um, when people came out of the building and shared their stories later, many of them had this same story about a man in a red bandana. And what had happened was this man in a red bandana had found them. They were on the upper floors above on one of the towers, above where the plane had hit and could barely see as the smoke was filling the rooms. And every exit they would try was blocked. Elevators, of course, weren't working. Stairwells were, they might have started to be open, but then they reached an area where they were blocked. And so way after way after way was blocked, but this one man right there had found the way down, had found the way to life. And instead of keeping it to himself, he went back up and he shared it with the people on those floors. And he began to tell them, hey, there's a way here. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. There is one way down and you need to take it if you want to live. And so he walked people to that and they went to life. And at the end of all this, um, he did not come out of the buildings. They collapsed as he was still going in and sharing that way with other people. It turns out it was a young man named Wells Crowther. Wells, um, as a graduate of Boston College, had played um, some sports there, but and for the previous few years had been working at the World Trade Center in one of the upper floors. And he had found that way and began sharing it with others. And that story as I heard it the first time, it brought me straight to my anchor verse for tonight, John 14, 6. And here's the picture that I see in, in that illustration. Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
That's my anchor verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I've known that from the time I was little, and I've rested in that verse for my salvation, that Jesus is my way, Jesus is my truth, my life, because he is the truth, the way, and the life. He is, is in the picture of that building, he is the one way that there's other ways that seem right until they're not right, and he is the one way down. And so that's been an anchor verse for my soul, for my salvation, trusting in it in all the storms that Jesus is the way. But the last few years especially, I felt like this is a verse that I've had to run to more and more as I share with people, as I share to other believers who are beginning to be fooled by the concept of truth or by twisting of truth. I've been sharing it with people who don't believe truth, who believe other truths, to share with them this reality that Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we have John 14, chapter, verse 6, that was not long before Jesus was put on the cross, just hours, day before Jesus was put on the cross. But just a few chapters later, I want to pair with this anchor verse, John chapter 18, verse 33 to 38. So if you have your Bibles, you can go forward just a couple of chapters because we're going to see a, basically a comparison of Jesus and the world. So Jesus was standing before um, his trial. He was standing there put on trial to be sent to the cross. And in front of Pilate, the, um, the ruler or the one who was presiding over this, Pilate went back inside the palace and he summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate replied, Am I a Jew? It was your own people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so Pilate exclaims, you're a king then. And I think he did this jokingly and kind of surprised at how bold Jesus would be to declare himself a king. You're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason... I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate asked this question, what is truth? As Pilate said those words, what is truth, and Jesus was declaring himself as truth there and saying my side is truth, it's just hours, days after Jesus had declared I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate is a picture of our world. The overwhelming majority of people in our world would fall on that side of this question. So write this down. The world says, what is truth? Now Pilate asked it, it says that he asked it as a question, and we don't know exactly how he meant that question. It could have been, I really want to know what truth is, I'm not sure. There are a lot of people out there who don't know what truth and are truly seeking it. But then I think Pilate might have asked that question rhetorically because he scoffed at truth. It was almost more like a statement like, what is truth? Do you really, as you declare yourself as the truth, do you really believe that? Do you really think anybody could, could know the truth? Pilate is indicative of our world. I think there's many people in our world, or there are many people in our world within that what is truth um, category. There are many people who would fall into the category of nihilism. These are some big words, but they're easy to define, or at least in a short definition, where write this down. Nihilism says there is no truth. 
Nihilism would be the scientific people, the ones who look at science and say we are products of nature, of, of atoms, of molecules, of big bangs. We're products of these laws that kind of are created by nature but wouldn't be called truths. And all of this world spins off into nothing. That when we close our eyes, that there's nothing after that. That's where we get our word annihilation. So there's many people. That would be, I think, the, maybe the atheist. There would be other people who rest more in science than they do any other philosophical idea. And so there's a lot of people that says, what is truth? Because they don't believe in any truth as far as spiritual things go, as far as something bigger than themselves. A large group of people, probably a majority of people, I think would fall under a category of relativism. You write this down. Relativism says that truth depends on your perspective. People who follow that concept of relativism would say it's, it's true if you're in this perspective, but there's another truth if you're in this perspective. Because you grew up in America, and I hear this a lot, because you grew up in America, your truth is Christianity, and because they grew up in Pakistan, their truth is Islam. And that, that's the case even if you believe in one God, even if you believe that there's truth. But many people would say both truths are equally valid. That's true for you and it's true for them at the same time. That's kind of what relativism is, is that truth depends on your perspective. There's a picture that broke the internet a few years ago. And for some of you, it could cause an argument in here right now because it just caused an argument upstairs in our office the other day. Um, this, look at this picture. All right, The Dress. This was entitled The Dress. About 2015 this came out. Somebody shared they had gotten a dress for a wedding. It had a shawl over it, something to cover the shoulders over the sides, but the dress in the middle. And the question, they wanted to know, because they had gotten it wrong, what color is that dress? All right. How many of you say you look at that, that dress is white and gold? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you say that dress is blue and black, or bluish or purplish and black? Okay. Look around. All right, how many of you truly, as you look at that, you still, even after hearing the option of blue and black, how many of you still see it as white and gold? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, after hearing that white and gold is an option, and you see that many people still see it as blue and black of some, some sort, blue and purple and black, but not just like it's in the shade, I know it's white and gold, but no. All right, I would fall under the category of it doesn't matter how many times and what way, what sh shade I look at that in I still see it as white and gold but Andrew Mingus my associate and Rita up there saw it as blue and black and I'm thinking are they crazy but what happens this happens in our world when it comes to truth I'm going to talk more about this in just a minute but many people in our world when it comes to things like this would say well your truth is that it's white and gold and my truth is that it's blue and black and we're both right and they leave it at that that's where I think that's where I probably left that argument okay we're just going to have to agree that we're both right because I'm going to stand on my truth and you're stand on yours. That's relativism where you just say, well, we're both right. It's true for the individual. Universalism is another way of, that people look at things. You're all going to write this down where every truth leads to the same destination. There's different ways of talking about universalism. I think this is where you would find the Unitarian Universalist Church. But I want to tell you all, we have a growing population of universalist Christians that I had no idea how many people were falling into this category. And they call it different things, but a lot of people talk about the deconstruction of their faith being built back up into something better. And it's falling under this category of universalism where they say, 
Some people who are universalists may say that everything's true. That's what I used to think it was the case. But really, I think universalism, when it comes to what we're hearing lately, is that you can believe whatever you want to believe, but it's all going to lead to the same destination. Christian universalists would say that Jesus' death and resurrection and crucifixion and blood, he is, is so victorious that it's going to cover everyone, that one day even people of every religion, no religion, will be covered by that. They'll have a chance to repent, and I would love that. In my heart, I would love it if every person in this world who's ever lived will have another chance, but I don't see that in Scripture. They will find Scriptures for it, but I want to tell you, you're going to face this more and more where people will say this, that the truth is that Jesus is the truth, but all truths will eventually lead to that. But really, what all three of these ideas and then others are is this goes back to this question of what is truth. It's an undercutting of what truth really is. To say that everything's true can't work because two things that say conflicting things about the same thing cannot both be true at the same time. They can both be what? They can both be wrong. Or one's going to be true, one's going to be untrue. There's other people, I didn't put anything else under here after those three things, but there are others who firmly hold to their truth and believe that another religion is the truth and saying that Christianity is not. I actually have more respect for people who will hold to their truth and will hold to it than those who will say that every truth is true or every idea is true. But overall, that's, I think, where our world is, is this misunderstanding, this undercutting of what truth really is, just like Pilate questioned. But while we have that, we have on the other side of that stand, on the, there in this courtroom, basically, is Jesus declaring, I am the truth. And write that down. While the world says what is truth, Jesus says, I am the truth. He stood there in front of people that he knew wanted to kill him, knew wanted to take his life, and he shared, he had just shared to the disciples, I am the truth, but he said, everyone who follows me is on the side of truth. There are several things in Jesus' statement that we see about truth. First of all, Jesus in this reality teaches us, first of all, that truth exists. Write that down. Truth exists. Again, there's many people who say that there is no truth. But Jesus, in his words, said, I am the truth. It exists. There's truth out there. We're not just floating around cosmic beings that one day will go to nothing. There is a truth out there that's greater and above all this. And then you look in John 18 that we looked at with Jesus and Pilate. And Jesus said that everyone who is on my side is on the side of truth. That there is a side of truth out there. It exists. And you need to stand one. You need to pick a side. You need to choose because truth exists. The second part of that, though, is that Jesus teaches us is that it doesn't just exist, but it is knowable. See, many people, I think the, the relativists, the people out there who try to give equal value to every idea, will say that truth isn't really knowable, so you just have to kind of pick something and hope. But Jesus says truth is knowable. In John 8, 32, just, um, I don't know how, how many months or years before John 14, but in John 8, 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You can know the truth. He also said in his word, as he's praying for the disciples in the garden, just hours before his trial, he says, Lord, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. So God is truth, Jesus is truth, and the word that they've um, put together is truth because they reflect who he is. Truth is knowable. 
The reason I know that truth is knowable is because that white, uh, let's go back to that white dress. Just back to that illustration, all right? You look at that dress, if we can have all of these ideas, but we can't end up on the thing saying, well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. No, there is something that you can know. What is that that you can know? There's an actual dress out there made by an actual company where that actual picture, I think it was taken in poor lighting, is there. And look at this dress. What color? What color is the dress? Those of you who thought it was white and gold before, look, it's blue and black. The dress is blue and black. I can know the truth, even though I still, I look at that picture in the middle, it's still white and gold to me. The shading, the lighting was off. Even you pictures, people saying it's purple or blue and black. That's blue and black, but I had to change my mind. As I talked with Andrew, like literally until Friday, all these times I knew about it, I thought that I was right, that there was an actual white and gold dress out there. I was wrong, and it hurt my heart because I was wrong, okay? But I was able to go out there, and I was able to know what the truth was. I'm going to follow up on that in just a minute, on how I should respond and how I did respond to that. But which, when Jesus says you can know the truth, the reason we can know the truth is because of your next point. Here's what truth is. Truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured, it's one of the best definitions. I would love, for, I think everyone needs to have this definition. Another one that Josh McDowell shared is that truth is faithfulness to the original or fidelity to the original, that there's an original standard. This is what this definition says. There's an absolute standard out there by which something can be measured to or compared to. And so truth is that which lines up with that standard. Another example of this to help it make sense to understand truth. Um, a couple years back in a really cold January day, I caught this fish. I was out at a pond outside of Montgomery, and I was going quail hunting with some friends, and they weren't there yet. 32 degrees, I found a fishing pole propped up that had 20 feet of line on it. And so I cast that line and the spinner bait that it had on it next to a um, log sticking up in the water, a stump. And I thought I'd caught the log, and I, I ripped it back. I set the hook into that, and I started reeling, and I was like, man, I caught a log. And then the log started moving, and I realized this isn't a log. This is a fish. And I reeled it in, and I, uh, my little muscles had to hold up that big 10-pound fish. I found there was um, somebody had just come up to take a picture. I was running with the fish in my hand. Please take the picture. I caught a 10-pound fish, okay? And they asked me, somebody asked me, well, did you weigh it? And I said, no, I never weigh my fish because then I might not be able to say that it's 10 pounds. <laughs> I don't, I, that is 10 pound fish until I weigh it, okay? The way that I know if that's 10 pounds, if somebody wanted to know, is it really, is that true, what do I do? I go find a standard of measurement that would tell me that I would compare it to, all right? Next picture, out there in France, there's actually a, there's a International Bureau of Weights and Measures, and then there's another building nearby it that has um, some different archives and things like that. But this is actually like an original pound. Not sure what kind of metal that is, but there are 16 ounces that have been fine-tunedly like, measured, that have been calibrated, that, uh, and then all the equipment that measures a pound has been calibrated to original sources like this. And all that I have to do to know if my fish is truly 10 pounds, and if that's a true statement, is compare it to a source that matches up with this. And if I took a scale 
and I don't know, I'm assuming it's 10 pounds because I didn't weigh it, um, but if I took a scale and I hooked the fish to it and it did not say 10 pounds, it said under 10 pounds, I would know that my statement is not true. So it's not true in general and kind of theoretically, the farther away it is from that original or what that standard, the less true it is. Truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. Back to the dress. Show that picture of the blue dress with the white and gold dress in the middle of it that's really blue and black, okay? I could compare what my thought is to the original dress. And when I see that, I had to acknowledge that I was wrong. Even though I still perceive it one way, I still cannot get past the reality that the original standard of that dress is black and blue. And so I had to acknowledge because there is an original standard. Because so looking back at Jesus, Jesus shows us about truth, that truth isn't defined by things like feelings, popularity, and trends. Write this down. Truth is not defined by feelings and popularity and trends. I could add on, I put dot, dot, dot at the end because there's so many things that you could add on to that because our world, as they say what is truth, will say that true ideas change based on how people feel. Christians are being more and more pulled, their heartstrings are being pulled to friends that they love, family members that they love, because somebody has, maybe has a different lifestyle, or a different religious thought, or a lack of religious thought, Christians will begin to shift what they believe is truth, and what they feel about the Bible, and say, maybe it is changeable. Maybe truth is not so much what we thought, and there's different ways to interpret it. Because so many people say that truth can be defined by changing things, by popularity, by trends. What was true back then is not true now. That's how the world will share it so many times, and it's a danger that we face. I've talked with someone a few years back, a student, about their faith, and they were struggling with ideas of truth and, and not only accepting other ways of seeing the world, but, but thinking those were just as true. And they kept saying, I just feel I just think, I just feel that God would do it this way. I just feel that this is how God is. And, and I finally said over and over again, you said that statement, I just feel. When it comes to truth, truth doesn't change by feelings. Truth doesn't change by trends, by popularity. But instead, the next point, truth is defined by the unchanging God. When Jesus declared, I am the truth, I think that I am statement that he used echoes back to Genesis and Exodus when God stood before Moses in Exodus and he said, before Abraham was, I am. I am the original, I am the originator. Remember when I said that truth could be defined as faithfulness to the original? Jesus is saying, I am the original. My father is the original. His words that are written down reflect the originator of all things. And if they line up with him, it's truth. Our truth has to line up with God as the standard. He is the truth, and the things that line up with him are true. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. An unchanging God. And so what do we do with this? Now, I mean, there's so many different ways that I could preach, so many other points that I'd want to give, because if you talk with a lost person or somebody of another viewpoint, they're going to have a thousand but statements. They're going to have a thousand but what if, or here's ways to look at it, but what I wanted to do tonight is set this down in stone that there is truth and that Jesus is truth, God is truth, his word is truth. And so what do we do? We respond rightly to the truth. When Jesus stood before um, the courts, 
he basically said, pick a side. If you're on my side, you're on the side of truth. If you're on the other side, you can pick it, but you will not be on the side of truth. When you see the truth before you, respond rightly to it. Now, there's a couple points I could have put before these, these last three. I could have said you need to find, seek the truth, you need to find the truth, and you need to know it. That, of course, everybody in this world needs to find those things. But the first thing I want you to write down here is align your life with the truth. When we find the truth and when we see it, we need to align our life with it. Jesus said, come to my side if you want to be on the side of truth. With the dress, I had to change my mind and I had to align my statement to align with that, to be right, no matter how I felt about it. Evermore is it important for us to align our life with the truth of Jesus Christ, regardless of what the world says, regardless of how we feel. We need to align our life with it. I want to do a, an illustration um, kind of as I come to a close. I've got a guitar here and um, started playing the guitar in the seventh or eighth grade. And the first thing that I learned on the guitar as I taught myself was the G chord. This is for anybody learning guitar, this is the first thing I would teach them because if you can learn the G chord and then a couple more that go with it, you can play literally any song in the world. But here's the G chord. Okay. Sounds good, doesn't it? All right, it's in tune. And I can play some other chords, some other song chords with it. I can play C. In fact, I did that with these songs. Back to a G, and then I can play a D chord because it's this shape. It's kind of like a triangle. Some of you are like, "That's how things work." I didn't know how music, how guitar music worked, but okay. So I've got a, a G chord right there, and it's always shaped like this. I, you can play it with just three fingers. That's, and I can add that in there just for a little extra spice in there. But so that's a G chord. Okay, Patrick, come up here real quick. Okay. Okay, no, you're good. I'm glad you stayed up here. You're, you're on it. So, um, yeah, all right, so it's on the right thing. So, Patrick, I want to play a song with Patrick because I've got a G chord, and so, Patrick, I want you to play a G chord, and we're going to do a really pretty song. All right, so let's go ahead and play it. All right, go ahead. Play it. Turn it up a little bit more. All right, that's not matching up, is it? Are you sure you're playing a G chord? Okay, play, play it again. Let me see it. So it's got, yeah, it's got the G, it's got the B, it's got the D in it. So G chord has those, and I'm going to play mine. This is, all right, something's wrong here. What's wrong? Mine's saying something, sounds like something conflicting to his. We're both playing the shapes that we believe are true. Okay, can we know, is there actually a truth out there of what G sounds like, the G chord? There is, okay. Could both of us be wrong about it? Yeah, he could be playing the wrong shape, even though he says he's playing that. Um, I could be right, I could be wrong, we could both be but we cannot both be right at the same time because, play it, that will never work together, okay? So what do we do? Out there, there's a standard of measurement when it comes to music. It's called a tuner. It's called, well, you get more and more into the depth. It's just frequency. There's a frequency out there for what these notes should sound like. So a G note has a certain frequency that, uh, that gives it a certain pitch always. A G note will always be a G note um, in, in life because that's the standard of it. And so what we would do is I would compare it, what I'm playing, to a standard, to the tuner. All right, Patrick's keyboard right there is actually always in tune to that standard. That's why I didn't have him play the piano because sometimes that thing can get out of tune. But 
that thing is tuned to the standard of what G chord is. Mine is not. Listen, it's in tune with itself. All right, so Patrick, play, in, play a low E. All right, so that's the problem. My notes are down. My notes are, are, are down. Even though it felt good, it sounded good to me and sounded good, it kind of worked for me until I compared it to something else. I didn't realize what truth was. And so what's my option? Should I ask Patrick, you need to tune your keyboard down to me. Is that rational? No. What do I need to do? I need to tune up to him. I need to tune up to the standard and take my thing that's down, take it up and fit it with reality, fit it with the original. And so I want to do that real quick. So Patrick, give me, let's give me an E. Okay. All right, give me an A. All right, give me a D. Okay, G. So all my notes were off. They sounded good among themselves, but all right, give me a B. Sorry, this is a long illustration here, but it's worthwhile. Okay, all right, E. That's what happens. I didn't mean to do that, but that's what happens when you're out of tune. One day, someday, okay. Well, let me, let me do this, okay. It's a good thing about having two guitars, okay. So this guitar, just like that one was, has been tuned to the standard, okay. So now, play your G chord now that we've tuned up this guitar, okay. Play a C chord. Play a D chord. All right, back to G. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. Christ the Lord. That works. That works. That G works because it's in tune with the original. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate it. Um, It works. And when it's not in tune, it doesn't work. It sounded good to itself and sounded good alone. But when I compared it to the original, the original is so much more beautiful. It's in tune. It works with the world. And if everybody would find this truth, the beauty of that would be unimaginable. Jesus replies to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if I want to respond rightly, I align my life, regardless of how I feel, to the truth. And then I stand for the truth. That's the last two things I'll say quickly. I stand for the truth. Jesus stood for the truth, regardless of being persecuted. Jesus stood for the truth when he was alone. Jesus stood for the truth, though he was despised. We stand for the truth because truth is truth. It wasn't unloving for Wells Crowther to tell people to go to that stairwell. It wasn't small-minded of him to tell people to go to the stairwell because it was true. It was loving of him because it was true. And it's loving us of us to stand on the truth because it is true. And so don't be ashamed of it. Don't water it down because it's true. 
And then in light of that, we share the truth. Just as Wells did in that building, we share the truth. We share it in love, as Ephesians 4 says, share the truth in love, but we share it. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that you are good and that you're holy and that your truths aren't something that I need to be um, ashamed of. Lord, that I don't ultimately need to be afraid of. I need to fear you, but Lord, your truths are beautiful. Who you are is perfect, and Lord, I pray that you will help us all see that. Lord, you'll help us stand firmly upon it, even in a world that would say what is truth. And we'll share it so that the world knows truth. Lord, thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.